0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. For those of you that haven't been around, we've been studying the book of James, and John did an amazing message last week. If you missed it, you need to go online. And he just did a great teaching on watching our words. And I've had a difficult week with my words this week, trying to trying to really... Uh, be impacted by what he said and apply what he said. I want to start with a joke somebody emailed me. I'm not supposed to tell you who emailed it, but my name is Claire and I was sitting in the waiting room for my first appointment with a new dentist and I noticed his degree on the wall, which bore his full name. And I remembered a tall, handsome, dark-haired boy with the same name that had been in my high school some 25 years ago. Could he be the same guy that I had a secret crush on way back then? Upon seeing him, however, I quickly discarded any such thought. This balding, gray-haired man with deeply lined face was way too old to have been my classmate. After he looked at my teeth, I asked him if he had attended the same school as mine. Oh, yes, yes, he said, and he gleamed with pride. When did you graduate, I asked, and he answered in 1987. Why do you ask? You were in my class, I happily exclaimed. He looked at me really closely, and then that ugly, old, bald, wrinkled face, gray-haired, decrepit idiot said, well, what subject did you teach when I went there? <laughs> All right, so we're gonna be studying tonight. I'm, I'm just saying. We're gonna be studying tonight James 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James 4, but I wanna start in prayer. Father, I pray that it won't be my words, but it'll be your words. Father, I have studied to show myself approved unto you, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would go through. But more than anything, God, we want your word to transform and change our hearts and our minds. Father, I pray literally that there's gonna be some breakthroughs as we're studying tonight, just the wisdom and insight that James shares. So let us focus on who you are, and I pray that we'll leave stronger and more deeply rooted in you, in your name, amen. Well, when James wrote this, they weren't going through a pandemic, but they were being persecuted. It's a very, James is just a very practical book of the Bible. And he talks about our spiritual life, things that we look at. He tells us signs that we need to look for so that we know if we're not really on track with the Lord. And he talks about God's provision, and he talks about some problems on how we can stray from God. And then he talks about how we can problem solve that. James 4, 1 through 5, he addresses problems that we go through. Will you stand up and we're going to read those first five verses together? And uh, NIV, they're going to be putting it up on the screen. Will you read with me? Ready? Begin. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire. So, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight and you do not have because you do not ask God. Okay, verse three, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Verse four, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses Okay, and finally, verse 5, loud and clear. Good job. High five somebody as you sit down. So, the first thing that James talks about in James 4 1 through 5 is strife and relationships. Why is it that God created us to have fellowship, and one of the most difficult things in life is getting along with the people around us? He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? I looked up the word quarrel, and the definition came up. A quarrel is a heated argument typically about a trivial issue between two people who are usually on good terms. Wow. What's the difference between a fight and a quarrel? A fight can be physical. It can get really physical, but a quarrel is always verbal. I have a video I want to show you, an example of a quarrel that went into a fight. Look with me on this. That's from Top Gun, by the way. I love how they're fighting and then all of a sudden they back off. So James very straightforwardly says, what causes quarrels and fights? And he's talking to us and he talks about how we tend to have conflicting desires inside of us. And he's saying that really bottom line, There's something wrong and we tend to blame the person we're with when the bottom line is it's something going on inside of us and it's causing us to take it out on other people. So whenever we're fighting and fussing with other people, I encourage you, don't look at that person. Look at your own life. What's going on inside of you? Why were you so easily frustrated or irritated? I was going home from church. Church last Sunday, great service, worship, everything great. I pulled off on Via Verde. I'm at a stop sign. There is a man with a child and a bike, and he is slowly, very slowly, going across the street. I'm waiting for him to go across the street. I do not want to hit his child. I do not want to hit the man. I do not want to hit the bike. I have somebody behind me laying on the horn, honking at me like laying on the horn. I am still sitting there as they slowly cross the street. She is now getting out of her car to yell at me because she is so upset that I'm not moving and hitting the man, the child, the bike. It was all I could do after John had talked to us about our words to not say anything. I really wanted to give her a piece of my mind as if I could spare a piece of my mind. She got out of her car, Gracie now got up, from the back seat, my pup, and was looking like, what is the problem, why is she upset? I roll up Gracie's window, my window, and I just waved at her. She did not wave back, the gesture she used wasn't quite the nice queen wave. And then the man and the bike and the child continued on, and I did not hit them, and she went around me in the meantime and almost hit them. What do you think was going on inside of her? She's very frustrated, very irritable. What's going on with people around you? Verse 2 says, you desire but you do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. James says that a lot of times we're envious of the people around us, and this is causing us to be irritable, and we take it out on other people. Proverbs 14, 12 out of the NIV says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Arguments and quarrels can start so quickly within us. How can I stop arguing with my family, with my neighbors, with my colleagues, and my church family? I want to talk to you for a moment about how you can quarrel less. Turn to your neighbor and say, how to quarrel less. Oh, that was so lame. Come on, do a better job. That was better. Number one, listen, my friends realize how destructive quarreling is. It is destructive. There's over 75 teachings in the New Testament about quarreling. God commands us to not quarrel repeatedly. And I'm gonna go through some of these verses with you quickly. Ephesians 4.31, Living Bible, quarreling harsh words and dislike of others should have no place in your lives. No place. He says you should never have quarreling in your life. 1 Corinthians 3.3, you're only baby Christians. You're controlled by your own desires, not God's. When you're jealous and when you divide into quarreling groups, doesn't that prove that you're still babies wanting your own way? Having a temper tantrum? In fact, you're acting like people who don't even belong to God at all. That's out of the Living Bible. God says that quarreling is a mark of spiritual immaturity. Proverbs 16:28 A devious troublemaker starts quarrels and their gossip separates the closest of friends. Wow. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2:24 As the Lord's servant, you must never quarrel. You must never quarrel. You must be kind to everyone, able to teach and patient, patient with difficult people. Out of the Living Bible. Basically, we're told repeatedly in scripture that we're forbidden to quarrel. God says that the root of all quarreling is our pride. 2 Timothy 2.14, remind believers about these things and warn them in the sight of God not to quarrel over words. Quarreling doesn't do any good, it only destroys those who are listening. 1 Timothy 6, 4 through 5, the conceited person shows that he doesn't understand anything. Rather, he has an unhealthy desire to argue and quarrel about words. This produces jealousy, rivalry, cursing, suspicion, Conflict between people whose corrupted minds have been robbed of the truth. Staying out of quarrels and arguing shows both maturity and character. Proverbs 23, it's a mark of good character to avert quarrels, but fools love to pick fights out of the Message Bible. Quarrels. It finally says quarrels can lead to a massive destruction like a dam in Proverbs 17, 14. The start of an argument, God says, is like the first break in a dam, so drop the matter before the dispute breaks out. Proverbs 11:29, 29, the fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. Wow. Need I say more? There's more verses. Do not quarrel. It is destructive. Number two, James says that we need to decide that we wanna change our lives and ask for forgiveness. Do you really wanna quarrel anymore? Do you wanna argue or fight? It only will bring devastation and destruction. So you can decide that you're gonna quarrel with people or you can ask God for forgiveness and not get hooked by somebody into quarreling. The only way we can stop doing that is to ask the Lord. We can only do that when we make the choice and through his power in our life today. Ask God to give you power to change your life. James 4, 8 through 9 says, Wash your hands of your sins and purify your heart of your double-minded living. Be sad and sorry and grieve over your actions. Stop laughing at your sin and get serious about it. That's a bit of a re-paraphrasal. It's how I memorized it. Wash your hands, my precious friends, means your conduct. Cleanse your heart means your attitude. We need to stop, we need to listen to other people, and sometimes we need to just walk away. Wow, good. Walk away. Number three, stop expecting other people to fulfill needs in your life that only God can fulfill. This is one of the biggest causes of a conflict or a quarrel. We expect people to be a certain way, and then they don't hit the mark that we have. I'm telling you, my precious friends, nobody is perfect. Only God can meet all of your needs. I had a great marriage, I love Bob dearly, but he could not meet all of my needs. There were times in my marriage when I wanted to take him out because divorce wasn't an option. But you've gotta let go of your expectations. We have a lot of conflicts and arguments because we're looking to somebody else to meet our needs instead of looking to our Heavenly Father. James 4, 2 through 3 says that we don't have because we don't ask God for it. And when you ask, you don't receive it because you ask with the wrong motivation. I'm telling you, too often we expect people to meet our needs instead of going to our Heavenly Father and asking Him to meet our needs. You're not praying about your needs. You're fighting over your needs. You're asking the wrong person instead of asking God to meet your needs. James just says, you know what? Stop quarreling and start praying. I speak over all of you that you'll do that, that you'll stop fighting and saying words that bring destruction and tear people apart, and that instead you'll go to the Lord in prayer. Sometimes, my precious friends, we think if we just talk more that we'll hit resolution, and I'm saying to you, you need to talk less, listen more, and go to your Heavenly Father. Number four, choose humility over prideful anger if you want to avoid arguments. James says that pride is always behind our conflict. Proverbs 13.10 says, "Pride pride leads to arguments. Be humble, take advice, and become wise. It's out of the Living Bible. There's always pride when we have quarrels. Maybe you feel like you weren't treated the way you should be treated. Have you ever been so prideful and so into an argument and you knew while you were in that argument that you probably shouldn't be arguing but you just couldn't let go and walk away? Don't raise your hand, you'll just get in trouble. If you want God's help in reducing conflict and arguing and quarrels, it starts with humility. James 4, 6, the second part of that verse through 7 says, God opposes the prideful, but he gives his grace to the humble. Give yourself completely to God. Again, that's a re-paraphrasal, because I've memorized a lot of James, so I know I'm taking the scripture and putting a little bit of liberty in it. Anytime you have pride in your life, you're on the opposite side of the spectrum with God. Give yourself to him. Humbly go before him. And my precious friends, learn to say, I'm sorry. I know for some of you that's really painful, but just learn to say, I'm sorry. The fifth thing that you can do to stop quarreling and arguing is recognize the source behind the hurtful words. In every quarrel, know that there's an unseen spiritual war going on behind the scenes. You might be arguing over the dirty laundry that was left on the floor. You might be fighting over the trash needing to go outside. You might be fighting over something pretty minor. But no, my precious friends, at a deeper level, the enemy, Satan, wants to come in to wreak havoc. He wants to create dissension. He wants to bring chaos. He wants to distract you. He wants to bring total destruction in your relationships. He wants you to focus on the negative and not the positive. He wants to destroy your family, and your relationships. We don't rage against flesh and blood. We're not fighting a battle that's fair. Although we can't see Satan, he's real. Ephesians 4.27 Living Bible says, when you're angry, you give a mighty foothold to the devil. Don't give him a foothold that can turn into a stronghold. Satan's always ready with what I call WMD, and that's words of mass destruction. Mm, good. He just wants to catch you. It reminds me of when I used to fish in Montana. You'd put the hook out. You'd just wait and wait and wait for that fish to come. And you were really quiet and really patient. And then all of a sudden, boom, you'd get that fish. And the enemy has his hook out. And he's watching and he's waiting for Very you. Brief and he's trying to get you to be vulnerable or tired and have somebody kind of push your button where from zero to 20, all of a sudden you're just ticked off and you're gonna exchange words and get in a quarrel or or a conflict and say things that cannot be taken back. Words of mass destruction. Don't get pulled into that. And I'm telling you, my precious friends, some of you need to turn down the volume a lot of times people will hear the intensity of your tone, they'll see the intensity of your anger, and they won't hear a word you're saying. And you need to turn down the volume and talk more quietly to those that you love. You resist the devil, my friends, by being aware. It says in James 4:7, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He wants you to be stressed, he wants you to be angry, and he wants you to be hurt. He'll use any negative emotion in your life to destroy your peace, and that's why you need to be aware of how he works. Second Corinthians 2.11 says, we're very aware of Satan's schemes so that he doesn't outwit us. Again, that's a paraphrasal of a verse I memorized. Recognize, recognize the schemes of the enemy. I'm gonna show you a picture of your brain. It's Dr. Perry's brain model. We have, let me tell you how your brain works, and this is from when I did all my teaching with behavior problems and learning disabilities. We have the neocortex, and if I demolish this, somebody can correct me later. It's the smartest and highest part of your brain. It's the neocortex, and this is where you're rational, you're thoughtful, you're able to reason clearly, and you can see different points of view. When you're using your neocortex, you're doing your best and your clearest thinking. That's where you want to be. But below that, down in your brain, is what's called the limbic part of your brain. This is emotional, it's more physical, and it's not as smart. It is the dumb part of your brain. When you argue and you quarrel, you move from the neocortex into the dumb part of your brain, the limbic. You're no longer calm, you're not collected, and now you're stressed, instead of thinking in your neocortex. When you're stressed, or if you're fearful, or if you get angry, you get a shot of adrenaline, and all that flows through your brain into the limbic. And I'm telling you, my precious friends, it is a dumb part of your brain. It'll cause you to yell, you might pound a table, you might throw something, you're now not in your best thinking. You are totally now reacting and not responding. You are now on emotion, and intensity without thinking things through. I encourage you to not let the enemy get you to the limbic part of your brain. You don't want to be dumb. You want to be smart in the neocortex part of your brain. You might be having a good discussion with somebody. All of a sudden, somebody's feelings get hurt. The intensity of the conversation gets elevated. And when you can feel yourself drop into that lower part, Stop, be quiet, take a breath, stop talking, pause. Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness and angry rage and never shout harsh words, insults, cursing, or any other type of rude or hurtful talk. You always wanna respond and think things through and not react. So that takes me to the most important point When you're in a really difficult conflict, when you're quarreling or arguing, stop and begin to pray. Talk to God during the quarrel. When I begin my day in the Word and I end my day in the Word, I find that I walk with so much more peace. When I spend time in the Word, it helps me to really be careful and be more on guard and resist what the enemy has. James 4.8 says, if you draw close to God, He'll draw close to you. Ask God, when you feel that conflict coming, for wisdom. Ask him to give you patience. Ask him to give you self-control. Ask for his help. Ask him to help you think clearly and stay in the top part of your brain, not in the dumb part of your brain. When you're talking to people, sometimes you just have very different perspectives. Mary, when I show this to you, what do you see? A picture of a lighthouse. She sees a picture of a lighthouse. Chris, when I show this to you, what do you see? A certificate of authenticity. He sees a certificate of authenticity. It's a big word. Are they looking at the same thing? Yes. Are they seeing the same thing? No. They're seeing things from a different perspective. My precious friends, sometimes you need to stop because you're fighting with somebody and you're really looking at the same thing, but your perspectives are so very different. And you need to stop and do a pause and see things from their point of view. That's called a paradigm shift, I think. I don't know, Bob Bob used to say that. Number seven, Invite the Lord to manage your thoughts and words. Colossians 3.15, let the peace that Christ gives control your thinking, because as members of Christ's body, you're called to live in peace. Say, Lord, I want you to manage my thoughts. I want you to manage my words. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Is there somebody in your life right now that you're having a hard time with? Can you just think about if the Lord was right there sitting with you, what would he say? How would he talk to them? As you visualize the Lord there with you, can you hear him coaching you and telling you how you should be thinking and how your heart and mind should be? Those things will help you to not quarrel. Okay, now back to the problems that James talks about in... In the beginning of James, the second sign of spiritual uh, a spiritual um, deficient life is you have not. So the first one is quarreling. James says you desire but you do not have. In James 4:2, there are certain attributes that we as Christians should have: the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 3:22 through 23, love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Listen, when you're not experiencing these in a consistent way in your life, then you know that you're off. Something's off. You need to be aware that you're drifting from God. Why don't I have patience? Why am I not experiencing peace in my life? Why am I not settled in feeling joy? You need to go back to who the Lord is. The third sign that you're wandering in your life away from the Lord is you do not ask God. And he talks about that in James 4 2. Notice he says you quarrel and fight, you do not have because you do not ask God. He is talking here about having a prayerless life, having a weak prayer life instead of having a life filled with prayer. 1 Samuel 12, 23 says, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Too often, my friends, we get to the point where we quit praying in our life. We give up. I want you to really sincerely assess and look at your prayer life. Is it vibrant? Is it something that you look forward to doing each day? Is it something that you do consistently? If you're not having a great prayer life and if you're feeling like the Lord's not answering your prayers, then you're not on target with who God is. The fourth sign of a spiritually deficient life is you do not receive from God. In other words, you're not receiving answers to your prayers on a regular basis. It says in in verse 3, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Let me just give you a few things that are wrong motives. Sin will block our prayers from being answered. God oftentimes will not hear our prayers until we get the sins out of our life and ask him for forgiveness. The second thing that blocks our prayer life, when we have an unforgiving heart. Unforgiveness will block your communication with God. It says in Mark 11:24 24 through 26, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you received it, it'll be yours. But when you're praying, first, forgive anyone that you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. The third thing that blocks your prayer life is a lack of faith. A double-minded person won't expect to receive anything from God. It says in Hebrews 11:6, 6, It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. The fourth thing is we give up too early on our prayers. Sometimes we want God to answer our prayers, and we've prayed for a while, maybe it's been a month, a week, a year, and we give up. I'm telling you, my grandma, my dad's mom, I talked to her from the time I was 16 until I was 60 about the Lord. My grandma did not accept the Lord into her life till she was 101. 101. My dad started praying for her when she was about 30. That's a long time to pray. I'm convinced that if we would have given up, she wouldn't be in heaven now and have eternity. Sometimes God wants us just to press through our prayer and not expect that we're going to get answers immediately and just keep praying. Why would we quit praying about something that's so important? Her eternal life. You guys got really quiet. The fifth thing that blocks our prayers is when we pray with wrong motives. James 4.3 says when you ask, you don't get because your motives are all wrong, and you only want what gives you pleasure. He says you don't have what you're asking for because of your motives. So if we're asking for things simply because of what we want to get out of it and how it's going to benefit us and how it's going to bless us, and if it's not in line with what God has, he's not going to answer that prayer. And then finally, the fifth and final sign that we are spiritually drifting away from God is worldliness. We look more to the world in terms of how we live than we do at Christ. If people looked at your life, would they know you're a Christian or would they think you're a part of the world? But praise God, James in in chapter 4, verse 6, he talks about even though we can drift away from God and we can have all these challenges and all these problems, that God gives us undeserved favor and grace and that we can't do things on our own effort, but through him we can do things. Even though we have these issues and we sometimes mess up and we're not praying and we're quarreling and we're fighting and we're not displaying the fruit of the Spirit, we can go back to the Lord and through His power and strength, we can change. How do we do that? He talks about that in James 4, 7 through 10. Number one, he talks about submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Basically, he's saying if there's anything in your life that you knowingly know is going against God's will, and you don't care anymore, you need to go back and submit yourself to God. Our power over the enemy is when we're submissive to God. Yeah. The more we walk in obedience to our Heavenly Father, the less the enemy can touch us. i to say that one more time. The more we walk in obedience to the Lord, the less the enemy can touch us. The decision is ours. The power is God's. The second thing is we're supposed to resist the devil. If you're experiencing a lot of temptation in your life, it's really important to rely on the Lord. Rely on the Lord before you make a decision and know that there's consequences for every decision that you make. James tells us we can resist the devil when we rely on the power of the Lord. The third thing is come near to God. James 4.8, he says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying if you want to get back on track and spiritually you feel dry, or if you feel like you're disconnected from God, then you need to come near to him. How do you come near to him? You spend time with him in the word. You spend time in prayer. You spend time fasting. You spend time studying the word. You spend time worshiping him. And you get back to the basics of spiritual discipline. I'm telling you, the way that you resist the devil is being close to God. The devil will flee from you because he doesn't want to be in God's company. The fourth thing is we repent from our sins. He says in James 4:8 to purify your hearts. Take your sins seriously. He's not saying that we need to go around and feel shame and blame and guilt, but he's saying anything that breaks God's heart, it should break our heart too. And then the fifth thing he says is walk in humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he'll lift you up. And then finally, in James 4, 13 through 17, he talks about facing your future. And I'm going to hit that quickly as I close. James talks about there's three mistakes that we make when we're looking at our future. And the first thing is we plan our future without God. He says in James 4.13, Listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. He's talking about a typical conversation between a couple of businessmen. One guy has an MBA from the University of Jerusalem and the other is a CEO of a Tel Aviv 500 company and they're discussing their plans and they're talking about where they're going, what they're going to do. And he's saying what's wrong is they're not planning with God in there. It's great to have dreams and goals, but you need to include God and pray about it. That's what they forgot to do. They had an attitude of self-sufficiency. Include God in your goal setting. It says in James 4:15, instead you ought to say if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. Say to the Lord, God, what would you have me do with my future? What do you want me not to do? Christians, for hundreds of years, used to write the initials DV at the end of their letters. They'd sign their names and then write DV, and that stood for the Latin phrase Dio valente, and it means Lord willing. I think that's a beautiful thing, and that should be our response in life. Lord, what would you have me do? Proverbs 16.1 says, we may make our plans, but God has the last word. Proverbs 16.9 says, we make our plans, but we count on God to direct us. Stop praying, God bless what I'm doing, and instead say, God, help me to do what you'd have me do. Guide and bless me in what you want me to do. The second thing that James talks about is we presume about tomorrow. He says in verse 14 through 16, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. My precious friends, life's unpredictable. Life's brief. It's amiss. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Proverbs 27.1 says, Don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day may bring forth. I don't know what the future holds, but I know God who holds the future. In Psalms 35, 15, David says, Lord, my days are in your hands. Don't make the mistake of planning your future without God. Don't make the mistake of presuming that you can put off today and do things tomorrow. You need to live one day at a time and live life to the fullest. Beware, because sometimes something starts out as a temporary condition, and it can easily become a permanent lifestyle. Well, we'll spend more time with the kids later when we make a little bit more money and get the house that we want. Well, we'll do this later. We'll serve at the church later when we're not so busy doing this and that. I'm telling you, my precious friends, what you put off today can become permanent and tomorrow may never happen where you'll get to do that. Which takes me to the third common mistake that James talks about in verse 17. We made it through the whole chapter. And it says, if anyone then who knows the good they ought to do doesn't do it, it's sin for them. He says the third mistake that we make is we put off doing good. He's talking about procrastinating. Procrastination is my sin. It only causes me sorrow. I know I ought to change my ways. In fact, I will tomorrow. We love to put things off. And James says, be careful. Be careful, my friends. It's a trap. Just because you know what you're supposed to do and you know it's the right thing to do and you think you're going to do it, if you don't do it, it's a sin. It's a subtle trap. It's the land of someday I will, one of these days. You never do things that you anticipate or presume you're going to do because you're going to do it tomorrow, but tomorrow will never come. My precious friends, the solution is do it now. Proverbs 3:27 through 28 says, whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. Never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. There's three things that you can do with your life, my precious friends. You can waste it, you can spend it, or you can invest it. Where you spend your time will determine where you spend eternity. You can make a difference and make your life count. Whatever you intend to do for the Lord, I'm telling you tonight, do it now. If you're thinking about getting involved in a Bible study, if you're thinking about volunteering at church, if you're thinking about tithing, inviting a friend to church, spending more time with your family, do it now, do it now, do it now. I saw a famous musician who wrote a lot of songs. I won't say his name. They were honoring him. He was about 68 amazing what he's accomplished amazing how much money he's made amazing where he's at in life and when they honored him and all these people honored him he stood up and he looked at his wife and he had one of his kids sitting there one out of five and he said honey i'm so sorry i didn't spend more time with you or with the kids i can never get this time back he from the world looked like he had everything but he'd lost a lot of things do it now I speak over all of you that you'll do it now. So let us not quarrel. Let us not have strife in our relationships. Let us watch the words that we speak. Let us walk with forgiveness. Stop expecting people to fulfill our needs. Choose humility over our pride. Be careful when somebody says a hurtful word and know that that's really the enemy trying to hook us in. Let's talk to God, talk to God, talk to God when we're struggling in a relationship. Let's invite him to change our thoughts and our words. Let's submit ourselves to God, resist the enemy, come near to God, repent from our sins, and walk in humility. Let us invest in our life, let us live today To the fullest because we don't know what tomorrow will bring let's pray father i thank you that you're here today and i thank you for your word in james it's such a practical word and it applies to so many areas of our life and lord i pray that we'll all be fed up with being argumentative and quarreling and even irritable god when the lady was behind me i was amazed at how quickly i was ticked off And we surrender this to you, God, and pray that you'll help us to avoid unnecessary conflicts in our lives. We repent and ask you to forgive us because we realize, God, the destruction that this will cause to those around us. We know that conflict in our life happens when we try to do things on our own, and so we humbly come before you. And we ask, God, that you'll be the manager of our mouth, that you'll guide and transform our thoughts, and we release our emotions into your loving hands. We pray for your peace to rule over our hearts and our minds and we practice and ask that you'll help us to implement the steps that we learned today studying James 4. God, I pray that when we drop out of that smart part of our brain and we get into the emotional dumb part of our brain or get upset or excited and our words will get louder and flow even faster that you will help us to pause, to stop, to calm down to focus on having you manage our thoughts and our words and go back into calmer, smoother, clearer thinking. May we treat other people with respect and allow a lot of things to slide off that don't really matter. May we learn to not say things unless they're uplifting and encouraging, to disagree agreeably. God, I pray that you'll teach us to respond with your compassion and peace and not react. And I thank you that you're making a change in our lives, that we're going to be a beacon of hope and walk with your gentle, calm delight. And all of God's precious people said, amen. Well, I never can close a service without talking to you about who the Lord is. And some of you, when I was praying today, I realized that some of you are just putting off, asking the Lord into your heart. You're thinking, I can do that tomorrow. Someday I'll get around to it. And James says so clearly in the book, and in, his, you know, in the chapters we've been studying that you need to do it now and don't wait. Maybe you've never really opened your life up to who Jesus is. Perhaps you're not even sure if you've ever asked him into your heart, and so I would encourage you tonight to settle it today. Are you absolutely certain that when you walk out of here that you've asked him into your life and you're gonna have eternity with him? Because it would be my honor to have you ask him into your life when you ask him into your life and you let him come into your life and and um, manage your thoughts and manage your words and your emotions it can literally change your life where you can walk with a peace that surpasses all understanding and you can be sure And the way that you're sure is by simply giving your life to christ god sent his son jesus to die for your sins He's the bridge for us. You just go before him and say, Lord, I know that I have sinned and I'm asking you now to come into my heart. So for the sake of privacy and for those of you joining us online, let us know if you're praying this prayer. Will you close your eyes? If that's the desire of your heart tonight, if you want to rededicate or affirm and make sure, confirm that you have the Lord in your life, will you raise your hand? Because I'm going to pray with you. Okay. Thank you. All right. So here's a prayer that you pray, and you can just kind of say it after me in your mind. You don't have to say it out loud. Dear God, I want you in my life. I know that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior, and I thank you that you died for me and you forgive my sins. I realize, Lord, that you made me for a purpose, and I ask you to come into my life, and I pray that this will be real to me today. I want to understand who you are completely, Lord. I want you to be in control of my life. I want you to be the chairman of the board in my life. I want you to call the shots. I don't wanna plan my future without you anymore, Lord. So I wanna open up my heart to you today and I wanna know you in a personal, intimate way. Thank you, God, for loving me and dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you forgive my sins. Today's the day that I wanna be a Christian and I make the choice and ask you into my heart I thank you for loving me and helping me with all the things that I am facing. And all God's precious people said, Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc or call 714-255-0930.